Why is it so important that we get this right? And it's the same thing that I've taught you every week. If you have written it down the last few weeks, maybe today you'd like to write it down again. It's our kind of big overarching encompassing idea for the whole series, and it's this. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And every week, we've also said, just to kind of give us some framework for the whole series, we've said each week that this isn't an idea that, that Pastor Brian or anybody on the staff at Fusion City Church came up with, but this is uh, directly taken out of a thought that King Solomon wrote down. And he said this, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He said, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools, this is the part we're going to focus on today, the companion of of fools will suffer harm. Now we've read that verse every week, but I haven't made this distinction in it just yet. If you remember back to our guardrails series about eight months ago, we talked about this. The the verse doesn't say that if you walk with the wise, you become wise. And if you walk with fools, you'll become a fool. That's not what it says. It says, if you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. But if you walk, if you're a companion of fools, it doesn't say you'll become a fool. It just says that you'll suffer harm. Here's what that means. That the people in your life, if they're a bunch of fools, and you know if you got some fool friends, you know the companion of fools is in the proximity for danger. You walk with the wise, you become wise. You walk with the fool, you don't become a fool, but that don't keep you from getting hurt. A companion of fools suffers harm. And so it's important for us as we look at the, the, the context of our lives to be honest about who it is that we're spending our time with. Because if you show me your friends, I'll show you the trajectory of your life. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. A companion of fools suffers harm. We've got to be careful in how we choose our friends. Solomon, again, writing in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, said this. He said, the righteous chooses his friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, if you're taking notes, you might, you might want to write this down. We meet people by chance. You can't help the people that you run into, coworkers, friends, you can't help who your family are. God bless them. Right? You can't help it. But the righteous carefully chooses who they deepen their relationships with. We meet people by chance, but we deepen relationships by choice. And it's the choices that we make of who we spend our time with that have the ability to influence and direct the trajectory of our lives. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. You cannot live the right life when you have the wrong friends. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, if you know anything about Paul, Paul wrote almost um, or more than half of the New Testament, depending on how many books you accredit to Paul. You could say two-thirds, but kind of a prominent guy, big deal. Like Paul was a big deal. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. He said, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins 
good morals. Now, why in the world would Paul go? Now, Paul could have just said, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company will ruin good character. Like, he, could, he could have just said that, but he, but he prefaces his warning with a thought. And the thought is this. Do not be deceived. Why did Paul tell us not to be deceived? Because you know what it's easy to do? Be deceived. It's easy for us to lie to ourselves. It's easy for us to just think the best. You know, ah, they're not that bad. Ah, I'll be okay. Oh, I can distance myself. Oh, I can hang out with them and not be like them. And Paul says, do not be deceived. And then he gives you a promise. It's not a theory. It's a promise. Bad company ruins good morals. It's not a theory. It's a promise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a promise. Bad company will ruin good character. It's a promise. The wicked will lead you astray. Am I overstating my case? Or y'all get it? Like, well, are we good? Like, you, 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 you picking up, are you smelling what I'm sniffing in? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Like, like this is, these, are, these aren't theories. It's a promise that if we spend our time in the presence of those who desire nothing of the things of God, We don't have a choice. It's not an option. It's not a maybe. It will negatively affect your life. So here's the tension, right? Told you there's going to be tension. You ready? Here it is. I'm going to drop it on you. What do we do with the Great Commission? Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to witness to everybody. I want you to be relational with everybody, and I want you to teach them about how much I love them by the way that you love them. So wait a minute. I'm supposed to go talk to bad people about how to be good people. But if I go talk to bad people and bad company corrupts good character, wait a minute. What do we do with that? Well, what do we do when Paul said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, and then Jesus tells us to go and be the light of the world? Well, what do we do when Paul says that light has no business being with it? Lightness and darkness have nothing in common. And we should distance ourselves from the darkness so that we can remain the light. And then Jesus tells us to go and be the light to all the world. Put your light on a, on a lampstand so that everybody can see. What, what do we do with that? I mean, come on, Pastor Brown. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to to distance ourselves and avoid the depravity of the world that we live in? Or are we supposed to engage culture and embrace these people and love them so that we can be a minister and a witness in their lives? Like, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to avoid it or are we supposed to engage with it? Come on, tell me. Here's your answer. Yes. Yep. My dad used to do that to me all the time when I was a kid. I'd ask my dad a double-ended question. Dad, do you want vanilla or do you want chocolate? Yes. 
What do you mean, yes? Yes, I want vanilla, and yes, I would also like to have chocolate. Like, it's not a decision, it's a tension. Now, I hated it when he did it to me. Unfortunately, for this application, I got to do it to you. Here is what the life of the believer is called to. We are called to both avoid the depravity that would corrupt us, bring us down, tear us up, and eat our breakfast. We're at the same time supposed to engage and embrace culture so that we can be the light of the world and the hope, to bring the hope of Jesus Christ. Do you feel it? Do you feel the I got to avoid and embrace. I have to distance and draw near. It's a tension. We're called to both. So how do we do it? How do we do that how are we supposed to avoid the depravity of the world and at the same time embrace those who desperately need the gospel it's muddy it's murky it's difficult it's hard you got something you gotta you can't really wrap your mind around because because come on chances are i mean chances are that your friends like the bad ones like, they're not, you know, they're not in the mafia. You know, they're not murderers. They're not cooking meth and giving it to fifth graders. Like, like and, and if your friends are, we're glad you're here. Welcome to Fusion City Church. And dang, you need some new friends. But, but chances are that for most of us in the room, those friends that we need to redefine our relationship with are not the world's most hated no, no, no. The, the reasons that we need to redefine our relationships are much less clear. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning just trying to be as practical as I can in helping you and, and helping myself try to figure out how we figure out what kind of relationships we have with what kinds of people. And for a lot of us, it's going to require us to be more honest with ourselves than we've let ourselves be. Because let me, let me tell you what's going to happen, right? And I, I perceive that this happens almost every message, but, but today it's also very, very possible. You're going to argue with me in your mind, not out loud because I got a microphone and that wouldn't go well for you. But you're going to argue with me in your mind, right? You're going to tell me, yeah, but he's just not. And, well, I mean, I know he's like a little bit like this, but, I mean, I can, I can get past that. That's not really good. like. It just you don't know my my situation is you're different right like because we're all we're all different like my situation is special my ways are different and 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 by and large all of us are very different we probably all have lots of different kinds of relationships but the thing that is universal for all of us is this that bad company will ruin good morals and the wicked will lead astray and the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to be deceived. You can argue with Pastor Brian in your mind all you want to, and that's fine. We have, you can disagree, and you got the God-given right to be wrong. That's fine. I'm telling you, everything that I'm speaking to you comes from a place of love and from just be perfectly honest, from a place of experience because I've had some jacked up friends that I've had to distance myself from in my life so that their bad character would not ruin good morals. Not that my morals are perfect, but I don't want any kind of negative influence in my life that could lead me astray. So, so here's, here's kind of the, the practical advice. We can put this in terms 
of things that I think will help each and every one of us. Here, here's, the first, here's the first piece. Your closest friends, like the, the core, your inner circle, whether that be four, five, six, seven, what, your closest people, the people who have the most influence and impact and the ability to speak any kind of advice, good or bad, into your life, the people that you listen to, they must, it's a have to, they have to be committed followers of Christ. Have to. Your core, the people that are closest to you, they must be devoted followers of Christ. Now, we've still got to address that, that how, do we, how do we go out and how do we embrace and how do we engage culture that needs Jesus? We're, we're going to get to that. But here's what you got to know. In order for your reach to grow broader, all right, so for the people that I'm going to touch and minister to and share the gospel and witness to and the people that I'm going to be a good example for Jesus to and all this other kind of stuff, in order for my reach to grow broader, my roots have to go deeper. If I don't have a strong foundation, I can't reach very far. And so the people who are closest to my life, the people who are going to advise me, the people who are going to counsel me, the people that I'm going to come to and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, and they're going to say, no, you're an idiot. Think about what Jesus would do and tell me to do. Like those people, they have to be committed followers of Christ so that the advice that you are breathing in helps your roots to grow deeper so your reach can go broader. Somebody ought to say amen because that's some good preaching. Like your roots got to go deeper so your reach can go broader. If you aren't healthy, you cannot provide health to other people. You can only impart what you possess. And that which you do not possess, you cannot impart. If you are unhealthy and the relationships of you and your life and your friends is unhealthy, you do not have the ability to go out into the depravity of the world and not be so negatively affected that it destroys your walk with Christ. You are only as healthy as your core. And if you got some busted up friends in your life, and that's fine, but they can't be in the core. They can't be the ones that you're taking advice from because if they make you unhealthy, it diminishes your ability to minister the gospel to those people that desperately need it. Our roots have to grow deeper so that our reach can grow broader. So that's the first step. The support system of our friends has to be strong else we'll be in danger of allowing bad company to ruin our good morals. So that's your core. That's where it starts. So now let's, let's talk about all of the other relationships. Like I got my, I got my six, seven, eight, like closest peeps. Like there's, that's my crew. Like I'm hanging with them and they're speaking godly wisdom into my life. That's step one. And then everything else then falls under what I call the, the two absolutes of friendship. I made that up this week. Don't go look it up. It's not profound. All right. So the two absolutes of friendship. Now, I, if, if you're a Star Wars fan, um, I know because I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. If you're a Star Wars fan, I know that George Lucas told us that um, Jedi's don't deal in absolutes; that only Siths deal in absolutes. Like that's fantasy world because it's George Lucas and sci-fi. And I love Star Wars, but but Jesus dealt in absolutes. Jesus said, 
um, no man comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty absolute, right? Like, that's, that's just it. Like, God has a plan. I'm the plan. You want to get to God, you got to go through me. Jesus dealt in absolutes, and so, therefore, on occasion, you and I have to deal in absolutes. Now, you may have heard me preach another message that I said, be careful how you use never because it can be dangerous to the input and the value of your life and the way that you use never. But in this case, I think we can make two absolutes concerning the relationships in our lives that will benefit us as we try to figure out how to balance this tension of engaging a world that needs Jesus and distancing ourselves from the things that can corrupt our good character. Here they are. Number one, I will never allow my friends to distract me from God's plan. I will never allow my friends to distract me from God's plan. This is where you and I have to take a real hard, honest look at our friends. Because like I said, chances are, man, you're not hanging, chances are you're not hanging out with mafia and murderers. Chances are the negative influences and distractions from your friends are far less clear. Maybe it's just as simple as a friend that's just overtly negative. Anybody got friends like this or had friends like this? I've had them in my life. Like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, the world's ending. Like, the chicken little. Like, the sky's falling. It was always, everything is always bad. Like, it's just negative. There's no hope. There's no joy. There's no any kind of optimism about anything. Just completely negative. That can be a distraction from God's plan for your life. God's saying, you need to go. And if God's challenging you and stretching you and saying, hey, you ought to step out and do this. And this is one. And this friend in your life who's always overtly pessimistic and negative said, you shouldn't do that. That's dangerous. You shouldn't. This is not going to. And in that moment, your friend, even though well-intentioned, right? They don't, they don't mean bad. They're your friend. They're trying to give advice to your life. But in that moment, they can become a distraction from God's plan. Even well-intentioned friends can be a distraction. Ladies, if you hang out with other ladies or women who are constantly bashing their husbands or the men in their lives or men in general, ain't, ain't nothing but dogs, I, you know, looked everywhere and all I found was dogs and whatever, whatever, that can negatively impact your perception of your spouse, your future spouse, it can keep you from finding the person that God wants to be in your life. If you allow the negative influence of, some, of, a, of a, like a man bashing friend to influence your life, ladies, men, if you're hanging out with a buddy and all he does is ogle other women, whoo, did you see her? Oh, my goodness. Oh, man, look at the things on her. I mean, if, if, that's, if that's the kind of guy that you're hanging out with, listen, it's a distraction from God's best for your life. If you can't hang out with a dude and that's all he talks about, if that's all he talks about, you probably need to put some distance between you and he so that he does not distract you from God's version of how you should love your spouse or future spouse. We've got to be careful about how we allow the influence of our friends to affect us. Even listen, this is, I'm about to make some people mad. Even romantic relationships. If you are dating someone right now who's not a believer, 
you probably need to put some distance between you and that person. Like, well, I know, but I mean, he's got a Bible that like they gave him when he was christened as a baby. He's, there's God in there somewhere. No, 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 no. That's what we in the church world call evangelism dating. There is no such thing as flirt to convert. Like it just don't happen. All right. God has somebody in mind for you that he wants to be part of your life, maybe even a a slew of people for you to choose from. But if that person is not a God-honoring follower of Christ, he ain't it, ladies. And men, it's the same for y'all. I have to say y'all because I'm already married. I got mine, and dang, I did good, right? But listen, I went through a lot of relationships I shouldn't to find the one that I should. I dated a lot of dogs to end up with a fox, all right? The same is true for you. You cannot experience God's best for your life when, you're, when the, there's a placeholder there that's less than what God desires for you. And you need to put some distance between you and that person that you're trying to flirt to convert. Relation, relational evangelism or dating evangelism is not God's plan for how you're going to win that person over to Christ. We have to be careful that we do not allow the negative influence of those who are closest to us to distract us from God's plan for us. And especially in the world of dating somebody, you're playing with two different sets of rules book, rule books. You're trying to honor God and be pure, and the chances are if they don't love Jesus, purity is not a part of their re- repertoire. It's not part of what they're after. You, you, you gotta, you're out of bounds. That's why Paul said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because they can distract us from the very best that God has in mind for our lives. We have to be careful that we do not let ourselves be distracted. Even, like I said, even the most well of intentioned people can be a distraction. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the example. Jesus' closest friend, one of his closest friends, there, there were three. It was Peter, James, and John. Anytime Jesus was going to do, go do anything super cool, he'd be like, Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me and let's go. Like they, These were the three closest guys to Jesus. Now, Jesus is near the end of his ministry in life here on earth, is unloading the plan into his closest friends. He's like, hey, y'all, I got, I got to tell you this. Um, in order for God's plan to be accomplished, I'm going to have to die. And then when I die... Sins will be forgiven, and then I'm going to come back. And Peter loses his flipping mind. Peter goes crazy. No, you can't die. Like, we got plans for you. There's a kingdom that you're going to build. You can't build a kingdom very well if you're dead. Like, like Peter is losing his mind. Like, like Jesus, you can't die. We can't let you die. What do we got to do to keep you from dying? You tell me whose ear I got to cut off, I'll whack off an ear. Like, I'm who, whatever I got to do to keep you from dying, Jesus, I'll do it. Right? Look at Jesus' response to Peter's best of intentions. Jesus, I don't want you to die. That's a good intention. But look what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's a pretty effective tool. If you got a friend in your life that's trying to distract you from God's plan, you just look at him and be like, hey, Satan, get behind me. Like, I'm going to try that next time with Chris, our children's director. Um, every time Chris tries to give me some bad advice, I'm just going to look at him and call him Satan. 
just because I think it'd be cool. Um, no, nah, we, we have to be, <laughs> Peter had the best of intentions. And I'm not telling you that all the friends in your life that you need to redefine relationship with and you need to figure out where barriers are and where boundaries exist, they're not bad. I'm not telling you they're bad people. I'm telling you to be careful and to not be deceived because even the best of intentions can distract you from God's plan and can ruin your good character. Be careful. You need to take a mental inventory of the friends in your life and the kind of advice they speak. You got to seek after God and figure out what it is that God wants for you in your life and how God wants to work in and through you. And once you figure that out, you can't let anything distract you from that, even if it's well-intentioned. Number two, the second absolute for friendship. I will always love people the same way that Jesus loves me. I will always love people the same way that Jesus loves me. The last thing that we can afford to do or be as a church, as the representatives of a God who loves us, a Savior who died for us, is a group of people who look down our noses at other people who are not like us. We, we can't be, the, I think the common cliche is, holier than thou. Like, well, I got Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to figure it out. You need to, and you need to, and you need to. Has that ever really worked? Anybody ever had an experience where me telling somebody how awful they were really turned them around? Show of hands? Yeah, there's none. I'll put mine down too because I tried it as an early Christian. Like I'd run around yelling at everybody. I was a Bible thumper. Fussing at people about how they shouldn't and why you shouldn't and you should be and what... It don't work. And why should it? That's not how Jesus did it. Was it? That ain't how Jesus did it. Jesus, one of the thing that got Jesus more, um, more hated by the Pharisees than just about anything else is that he had lunch with a bunch. He had a party with a bunch of sinners. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like like him. He spent his time. He kept the Pharisees, the religious elite, the the professional religious people, he kept them at arm's length. Oh, you're a sinner, a tax collector, and like an adulterer. Yeah, let's go hang out. Let's go, let's go do lunch. Pharisees, y'all take a number. Let me go hang out with the adulteress, right? That was Jesus' ministry. And if he's the model and example for our lives, we too must not just completely box ourselves in like we're the church, we're holy, we're righteous, everybody else stay out. Were we really so much different before Jesus? I mean, come on. Were were we really so much better before we began a relationship? Are we really so much better now? Listen, you... I don't want to, I hate to keep, I try not to preach the same thing too many times. Y'all heard me say this a few times already. I'm going to say it again today just for good measure. We in the church cannot, must not expect people who are outside of the church to act like people who are inside of the church, especially when people inside the church act a whole lot like people outside of the church. There's an amen there somewhere. Somebody show me some love. That's good preaching. We cannot 
as the church, expect people outside of the church to act like church people. Especially while church people act a whole lot like not church people. And it's rampant. How different are we? Really? So here's how we, how do we balance this tension? We grow our roots deep so that our reach can be broad. And we don't let anything, good friend, bad friend, outside, inside, church, not church, nothing. We let no friend, no relationship, no interaction distract us from that which God has called us to. God has a plan for our life. Once you figure it out, you stay with it. And you don't allow allow anything to distract you from that plan. But the second thing that we have to do is we must always love people the same way that Jesus loved us. Come on, where were you when Jesus saved you? How bad was it? Right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First, first John chapter 4 says it this way. First John 4 verse 19 says we love because he first loved us. Like he went first. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, don't be as short-sighted as to think that your brother is your, like, mom had another kid and he's brother. Like, not, no. Our brother is, it's everyone. And the argument here in First John is this. How can you say you love God? You can't even see him. You, you want to show that you really love God? Then you love the person that you can see. Who can we see? We can see everybody. And it's imperative that you and I love everyone, all people, in the exact same way that Jesus first loved us. I don't know about you, church, but there's, this, is, this is an opportune time for me to take a look at, at all the relationships in my life and begin figuring out which relationships need to be redefined like how much influence do I really need to allow certain people to have into my life how do I live in this tension of loving the same way that Jesus did while maintaining an adequate and proper distance from the depravity that could suck me in and distract me from God's plan for my life like I said there's no answer for this this is a tension that you and I got to walk out of here carrying I was talking to another pastor friend of mine this week about this message, and I said, you know, I, gotta, I basically just got to leave him with the tension and hope that, that what we read in God's word and any advice or, or application or explanation that I can give to that is enough. And I told him, this is what I, so I told him, I said, I feel, like a, I feel like a dad. I haven't had this experience yet. My daughters are still young, praise God. Um, I haven't had the experience yet of having to watch when my kids go off to college. But that's kind of how I feel. I feel like uh, I just got to let you go. And you got to make your own decisions. You've got to look 
at your relationships. You've got to make the decisions of who it is in your life that you are leading or that are pulling you down. You got to figure out who those five, six, whatever friends are that you want in your core and that, so that they can breathe life into you so that your roots can grow deeper. If, if you're a new believer or newer believer, there's a really, really good chance that all of those friends that were in your core need to have a new spot in your life. I've never had any professional counseling for addiction, but, I, but I've heard and I've read that for an addict, one of the first things that they have to do is distance themselves from the community that they were a part of that allowed them to maintain the addiction. And the same is true in our lives. As we seek to honor and please God and live a life that's free of distraction from the things that would derail us from the plan that he has for our life, we too must distance ourselves from the communities that allowed us to live outside of God's plan. All the while, here's the tension, all the while, we love them the same way that Jesus did. Jesus loved everybody equally, but he didn't treat everybody equally. He kept the Pharisees at arm's length. He brought in the sinners. He brought in James, John, and Peter a lot closer than he did the other nine and the disciples. Jesus loved everybody equally, but he didn't treat everybody equally. And the same is true for us. I can love you from a distance if you're going to be a distraction in my life. And when I'm strong enough, when I've got a core around me that's, that's deep and grounded and, and firm, yeah, then I can reach out and try to advise and witness and lead and direct and preach. But we got to get ourselves right first. And for a lot of us, that means that there's some people in your lives that you need to redefine your relationships with. Would you pray with me? Father God, Give us the strength. Give us the strength necessary to be honest with ourselves about the nature of our relationships. And Father, for those relationships in our lives right now that need some redefining, God, would you give us the strength again to redefine those? God, point us in the path of your plan. Make it clear to our lives so that, Father, we can respond in boldness and confidence knowing that we're not allowing any outside influence to negatively affect or distract us from the plan that you have for our life. God, for the ones in here this morning that are going to be faced with some tough decisions in response to what they believe to be true from your word this morning, God, I pray that you just wrap your arms around them, that you let them know that, God, they can't get rid of anything in their life that you don't replace with something better. God, if there is something in their lives that is distracting and derailing them from their relationship with you, God, if they take the step and have the faith to get rid of it, that God, you'll replace it with something that's pure, that's honoring, that's holy. Lord, we want our lives to be a testimony to your love for this world. So, Father, for all people, all interactions, all relationships, God, would you help us to powerfully show the love of your son in the same way that it was shown to us? 
a willingness to, to do whatever it takes and pay whatever the cost to demonstrate the love of a God who was willing to watch his son be led away to a cross for the sins of the world. While we were still an enemy of you, God, your son would die for us. Lord, may that direct our relationships and interactions this week. God, help us to make the choices that would please and honor you. And we pray it in the name of your son, our Savior. Amen. Amen.